says nothing's more inspiring than a timeline and a budget. And I think it's true for creative people. We like to be a hundred percent free in safe spaces. Being a hundred percent free in the wild is scary as shit for creativity. So what I've tried to do is to help build a process. So for the next three days, all you're doing is this. This is the Snarketing Podcast for marketers by marketers talking to marketers with just a touch of snark. Now, here are your hosts, Valerie Vespa and Matt Wurst. Hello. Hi. Wow. Valerie kicking off the podcast for the first time ever. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else, Valerie? Do you want to welcome people to the episode? I'd like to welcome you all. My name is Valerie Vespa, one of the co-hosts of this snarketing podcast. And I'm Matt Wurst, the also-ran co-host of this podcast. Oh, I, I feel like I miss you. I'm sorry. It's just, I, I felt excited and I'm wearing a yellow sweater. So maybe I'm just feeling, well, it I don't is know. Sweater weather. This is our special Halloween episode. For those of you listening on drop day, happy Halloween and boo. Valerie, where are you going <laughs> as for Halloween? A witch, which I don't have to dress up for. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, very, very original. Um, certainly, certainly creative. Uh, I am going as a shower. Are you for really? Anyone who, yeah, for anyone who remembers the Karate Kid movie, the original, not Cobra Kai on Netflix, but Daniel LaRusso went as a shower. It, to it, the, my mind immediately went to that. So that's I love the inspiration. it. Yes, I love it. it. Is, uh, I'm, I took an entire day off of work. I went to Home Depot. I bought the proper PVC piping. I bought an $8 shower head. And if I wanted to, it could actually work. I just don't have a reservoir of water. So I'm, <laughs> I don't know, I have to figure it out. Tap into your faucet. Yeah. So what else is going on? We are two months away from the end of the year, which in working and marketing timeline really means we only have one working month left because we know nobody works in December. Yeah, I think on Tuesday my CRO said it was there was like forty six days left in the in the business year. All right, so get busy selling, team. Get busy creating. I don't know that many brands will have that air quote leftover slush fund budget that they didn't use. That is typically a driver of great Q four growth. But hopefully the holiday bump gives some of us a lift. I guess. We'll yes. See. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been a weird year for sure. Um, you know what? is especially weird and and we didn't really prepare for this but i have been spending more and more time on tiktok a because my kids are discovering it as they get older but also there are some new features there are some new products tiktok shop which i happen to think so far has been somewhat of a dumpster fire uh there is way too much crap on there yeah they've tell also me. introduced something well well i'll tell you about tiktok shop so tiktok shop is really a imagine QVC for mm -hmm. social media with live or streaming video, but most of the products being sold are cheap crap. Like anyone and everyone is on there. It's taking away some of the focus from viable brands. It's a distraction. I almost feel, you know what it reminds me of? Like walking down Canal Street. You don't know oh. what's real and what's not. 
there are <laughs> bargains to be had, but it is kind of just like visual and sensorial overload. And then you feel terrible once you leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, they're going to have to figure out how to do a better job of promoting and algorithmically rewarding those that are adding real value to the commercial ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I am excited for it to get past this first pancake phase. Yeah, I have not dealt with that at all. I, 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 I have to admittedly say I don't use TikTok. So, um, but I did hear during Ad Week about this TikTok out of phone. Did you happen to hear about that as well? I did. I was going to ask you about it because I don't know if it's directly impacting your business in a negative way, a competitive way, or do they partner with you? Like, I mean, explain what it is. Well, what I gather from those that I've heard about it from um, is it's an audience extension play from, from, you know, what it sounds like. It's basically taking any sort of TikTok content or perhaps even making a call to action, um, which then can be moderated through, through a third party and transposed onto any out-of-home asset across the country. Um, okay. And so I think, you know, we, you know, in my space, we've been talking about, we call it social out-of-home. And it's this idea of like this feedback loop of how out-of-home and social play in very nicely together. And I think it just, for me, it, I like to see that TikTok clearly agrees with that um, and is trying to use our space to kind of enhance theirs. Um, and honestly, it's broadening I think a, yeah. it's broadening a creative canvas, right? I mean, Ex- exactly. It's just kind a of, distribution mechanism. Yeah. I mean, do people care to see a TikTok video in the out of home space? I think it, it depends. I think it has to be very nicely creatively curated in my mind, but there are a lot of great creators creating great content. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, and as far as it bastardizing our business, like I, you know, I yet to be determined. I don't think so. I think it can only be additive personally, but I'm, you know, you know, me being very positive about the way the world is <laughs> until a, yes, I'm you, true, you and I are both wrong. positive until yeah, until given a reason not to be, um, <laughs> and that reason not to be might be the fact that anyone you know at TikTok with whom you might have collaborated may have been affected by the recent restructuring and reduction in workforce, which I hope uh, didn't affect too many people, but that seems to be. Um, I, Evan Shapiro just like wrote a, a Substack on on all the layoffs this year, and it's it's not a pretty picture at all. So it's it's terrible. Well, then let's just be grateful we have jobs. And you know who else has a job and has a great job is our guest today. Speaking of creative canvases, speaking about new ways to reach and connect with consumers and do some storytelling, his name is Joe Staples, which is not a stage name. It's not a name to also describe where he works. He is not affiliated with uh, office supplies in any way. He is the chief creative officer and a partner at Mother Industries. And he is a lovely, brilliantly talented human being who has been at the forefront of many of the most inspiring campaigns of the last decade or two. So let's jump in and go to Joe. Let's meet our guest, Joe Staples. He's a Hall of Fame creative who mastered his craft over 15 years at the legendary creative agency Wyden and Kennedy before becoming the chief creative officer and a partner at Mother. Hey Joe, and thanks for being here with us. 
Hi, Joe, and welcome to our waterlogged, slightly soggy podcast for today. It was. It seems like it was quite hard for you guys to get there. For me, this is just a day in LA. 75 degrees. I will say that very rarely do I think about what could have been if I left New York. Today might have been one of those days. And for the listener, just so you know, we're recording this on the day of the monsoon that shut everything down. But Valerie made it in time. She also almost missed this. But Joe, thank you for being here. Thank you for not leaving your house for us. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So Joe, we are meeting you for the first time, even though we've probably crossed paths at creative or agency award dinners. But I hear a hint of an accent. I don't know if it's just me, maybe, but tell us a little bit about your background, how you arrived here, both literally and figuratively, and more importantly, like, why did you stay here? Oh, I love it here. I really love it here. Um, I'll try and do this chronologically, but not in real time, because that would take a long time. So uh, I'm from South London. Uh, I went to school there. I went to uh, art college there. Uh, went to Central St. Martins. But I had a year off between uh, kind of art courses. Met a wildly fiery, beautiful and an intelligent woman who was a teenager, as was I, on a beach in Fiji. And we have a child and live in Los Angeles together almost 30 years later. So we've traveled the world together. Um, I, I will say my whole career is basically, the fulcrum of my career is me in, luckily showing a creative director in Australia, a kind of design book that was actually didn't have any design in it, it just had inventions that didn't work and this guy said i think you could do this and he michael simons basically gifted me a career which i have absolutely adored for the past 25 years around well, the world thank you for not explaining any of that in real time because it might have been slightly uncomfortable at least the <laughs> beginning parts but now i'm here I'm, I'm i'm in la after working in australia back to london uh holland 13, 14 years in Portland, Oregon, and now Los Angeles. And is your wife from Los Angeles? Is that how you ended up here or? She's from Australia. Oh, she So is. that's why the week after I graduated college, I moved to Australia, not knowing anything about advertising, studying design. Um, yeah, and we've kind of lived around the world and she's produced film and TV and, uh, and ads for that time. And so, and so when, like, when was the pivot from like just doing creative design work to getting into the actual advertising marketing that business? That was like maybe the 10th person I showed my book to. When portfolios were actually portfolios, um, it was another century. Um, and but if I tell you what was in there, you might understand, right? So I did design at a famous design school with people who are wonderful at design and and I, I know I can't do it. And, and that's not false modesty at all. I cannot do it. So my book was full of, um, I, I would photograph a fruit, a, a bowl of fruit, and then I would make a fruit salad and photograph that. And then I would try to build the bowl of fruit out of the fruit salad. And that would just be, I would try that 10 times. 
and it would never work but it was just like oh here's this thing and so each page was a different idea now i didn't know in hindsight obvious but i didn't realize that what i would think i was doing and actually this michael simon said to me i think what you do is you set yourself a problem and see if you can solve it and i was like yeah yeah that's that is it that's what i do and he says but what about if i gave you the problem and i said i don't know and he said maybe hang out with us at the agency for a few weeks and see if you can solve other people's problems and i was like that's the pivot that's the day that's when i went from being a really unhirable garbage designer on the start of another route well you're clearly someone who in addition to literally jumping around a lot kind of found his home um, many years at widen which to me is still the gold standard but like i guess let's jump around like you did so now you've been with mother since its early days a dozen people right when you got to the agency it's probably evolved since then i'm guessing so to what would you attribute the the agency the company's success in this industry and your own role in it i can tell you exactly what it is and the one of the reasons i can tell you it's really fucking simple and the other reason is no one can copy us so thank you for being kind about widen i do believe that at that time widen was the best the world had ever seen at a thing and that thing was large transformative brand informed positionings and narrative communication i'm being as tactful as i possibly can be while being clear the thing that really excited me about mother even though it was i was running an agency of 650 hmm. and mother in la was less than a dozen people but there are a couple of things one of them was that it was independent and widen was independent i've spent 90 percent of my career at independent agencies so we had no one to answer to we could serve our clients and ideas unencumbered and then the other one was because i was asked if you don't do this what are you going to do and i had a business i had a plan and i told um robert savile and michael wall who flew from over to la and we spent a day and they said what is it and i said this is what i think will define the next era of creativity i don't know how the hell i'm going to afford to do that but if i work with you i'll do that and they just said yeah here are the keys unbeknownst to me the people they were going to partner me with who were running the us had had similar conversations so like america has a cultural dna and the uk has a cultural dna and to be informed about modern decision making is to look at the dna of a country why do we make decisions what informs who we are i think countries have these i think companies have these mother's dna was independent rebellious and wildly entrepreneurial the thing was in my opinion they hadn't always had the three at the same time together so they'd had a wildly rebellious and independent agency with incredible work now for a quarter of a century also that helped start 28 29 other companies from ad agencies to helping incubate soho house in its earliest form with an investment in real estate with sir kensington's ketchup with 
the list goes on. I, 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 there are some I'm allowed to name. There are some I'm not allowed to name it, but you will have heard of them. You just won't have heard of them from inside Mother. So the idea was to build a group of owner-run, owner-led, owner-owned companies facilitated with money, real estate, creativity in some combination to be part of what we flippantly call mother industries, which are clearly two words that shouldn't go together. But in our offices, we have capital D design. We have a legit ventures group with finance. We have on both coasts, we have design. We have media by mother. We have super bloom. So we're building this team of independently run and owned creative companies so we can solve any problem. The other thing that culturally that mother did that I was super intrigued by is, and this sounds small and silly, but we eat breakfast together. We eat lunch together. Hmm. We mother was started around the single table. And the idea was that the problem goes in the middle. We all sit around the outside with a client. It's a collaborative thing. So what we're trying to do is share space, literally break bread together and then share problems and ideas. And were these things you took with you that were part of the DNA at Wyden or were these new original concepts? Because look, I've been at creative agencies and we eat at our desks. Oh yeah, don't do that. That's not good for anyone, surely. It's not good for well, keyboards. The, the, the ketchup splotch stain might be a Rorschach test for some next design inspiration. It's right? a Rorschach test to not do it again. <laughs> no, I think that... For the last few years, when I was running Mother, I mean, when I was running Wyden um, with with partners, with teams, we had a 35-person department called The Lodge. And it was run by Paolo and Nilesh Ashra. And they solved problems in the same style of which, if you're used to advertising, the same, the same way to solve problems. But their solutions were tech and innovation. And widened solutions were narrative. I'm being super general. Now, super sadly, and I'm, I, I don't take credit for their success and I do not take credit for their fall. A few months after leaving, it was just shut down. Widened doubled down on the thing they did, which they're the world's, be world's best at and is highly profitable. Even from a distance, it was crushing. And I just knew that we needed to build somewhere that we would finance ourselves, that could solve all of those problems. So let's go into like something specific. So you won an Emmy for a Super Bowl ad, which I didn't even, wasn't even aware that was possible, but now I do. Um, so quite an achievement. Can you, can you tell us about the creative inspiration behind that campaign and, yeah. and how did it feel to receive such an award? Yeah, it was, it, I, I, I was handed it by the guy that wrote Mad Men. It was a very strange, out-of-body experience. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I can, I can. So there's a book that all creatives used to have, like at Widen especially, where there'd be 10 or 20 books where everybody's going to have uh, this toy, these books. One of them was Bruce Mao's book, Lifestyles. And in it, him and the architect Rem Coolhouse and a couple of people do this thought process, which is, what if you have to rebrand a country? And... They chose Switzerland, and it's just a funny chapter, right? And in it, they 
they kind of come to this thing which is like they call it switzerland the most switz place and so that's kind of a data point i suppose all of us have these data points for uh how we make decisions how we think about things if a brand is a file we talk about this a lot at mother the experiences that the data are the things that we put in our brand file so we always think about how do we build a brand in terms of how would we file the experiences we have with the product so so much of the time when talking about dodge which we worked on before chrysler i would every few weeks i'd be in detroit and i would go to baseball games we'd go out for dinner someone's stereo gets stolen out of their car literally the ceo of Chrysler's stereo got jacked when we were having dinner so i'm experiencing detroit and it was pretty rough one day we were talking about sometimes the, the barrier to purchase in super traditional 101 terms is not the product and it's not the brand it's where it's from so if everything i see on tv is about how this man-made disaster of a city may not be here in seven years time where am i going to get parts how am i going to do this so we were talking about maybe the barrier to purchase is detroit not the brand and not the product so we brief that to a creative team how do we talk about this now the team who presented this work they came in with literal printouts of beautiful architecture churches and statues and this is how they presented it they said, where's that? And I remember, and I went, is it Prague? They went, no. Where's that? I was like, is that Paris? And they went, no. And they did this 10 times. They even showed the fist statue and I didn't know, I had not seen it. So I was like, <laughs> I don't know. And M then, Eminem should have been standing in front of it. Em and then you would have known. There. Yeah, Eminem was there. <laughs> um, and so they present these things that are really beautiful. Up until this point, the only art I'd seen depicting modern Detroit were these French photographers that would travel around and do ruin porn. It was a really, it was like, look at this theater with ivy in it. And you're like, oh, fuck off. Like there are people living there trying to lead dignified lives and you're showing it as a rubbish, a beautiful rubbish heap. So they present this romantic, like heartfelt tribute to a city. And they said, um, did you know that Detroit used to be uh, called the Paris of the Midwest? And I'm like, well, that's amazing. This is evidence of it. And they said, we want to make a really funny campaign called Imported from Detroit. And we want to rebrand Detroit Detroit. And I was like head in hands, impressed and angry, which was, I don't think we make a joke about that city. And I don't think we make a joke now, but the idea of imported meaning quality and Detroit meaning blue collar imported from Detroit is it's beautiful. So then what we tried to do, if you follow this kind of winding narrative is how does the city of Detroit tell its own story as opposed to have its biography written by outsiders? So that is such a uniquely convergent creative story and like all creative elements of it come from personal experience those who are either on the client side or with you or your team i've worked with brilliant creatives and so much of what they do is personal first and foremost yet we also understand we have to 
have insights and audience data and first and third party and all that. How do you balance the creative process when it comes to overseeing all these aspects from advertising and design, but also knowing that you are talking to an audience as well? Um, I have a literal process. It's flippantly called the Joe Staples diamond of success because I don't want people to take it too seriously, even though it's kind of a little serious, which is I, I, I grew up, I kind of undiagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD. So I built a system for myself so that both I could understand what I was thinking and importantly, I could explain it to other people. I didn't realize till I was about 25 that other people couldn't do the things that I found really easy. So I just teach them to do it. And assuming nobody's going to be watching me, I will do hand gestures for you guys to understand. And that is to start, it's a diamond. It's like this, right? It's really simple. I mean, it's more complicated because I have chapters for literally every little part. But in simplest terms, we start collectively agreeing at the point. What is the really clear thing that we need to do, that we need to try, that we... It's, it has to be defined. It's not a manifesto. It's not a waffle. It's a thing. And then as we travel down, this thing gets broad. Halfway through the process is the broadest part. And the way we define that is as interesting a conversation as you can have while working on it, as broad a conversation is as good is the propensity for the work to be good. And then as simply as we converge, and now we talk about craft and delivery and audience, now we do, as simply as you can execute a profound conversation is as good as the work is. Now I'll tell you why I think it works, is that if time is this vertical axis, then we're, we're passing through this diamond. It means that every person working on it, including the client, because the, the problems in the middle, we're working on an idea together, They'll know what we're doing every day. So they can come in every day. But if you come, if it's a two week project and it takes one week to get to the four or five really broad, interesting conversations, clients are not allowed to kill anything. Impossible. We're growing here. You're not going to see a script either because we're not at that point of the process. It means that media and design and clients and advertising and narrative and images and audience can all understand where they are uh, in a timeline. In, in, there's a wonderful book called Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Dan mm -hmm. Wyden's at the end of it. And, and uh, in, there's a Philippe Stark line in there where he says, nothing's more inspiring than a timeline and a budget. And I think it's true for creative people. We <laughs> like to be 100% free in safe spaces. Being 100% free in the wild is scary as shit for creativity. So what I've tried to do is to help build a process. So for the next three days, all you're doing is this. Get wildly interested with it. That goes back to your thing, Matt, about it has to be a personal story. If this is written as a hypothetical secondhand information through a strategist, through research from the client, third, fourth hand, you have to be interested by it. When I come and talk to you after those days, I want to see you light up when telling me things you didn't know before. Well, they say a diamond is the most indestructible force in nature. I think it mm. may now be second most behind this. <laughs> By the way, clearly you need to go pitch some jewelry company with this. And that would be like full 
I do have a question about the diamond. Like, can there be multiple diamonds on a project? Or is there... No. It's just... So the, so the starting point is a common idea. Yeah, because I it feels like it allows us... It doesn't allow side quests. It also doesn't allow for relays. And I think that relays are one of the things that hurt creativity the most, which is feeling like you've done your bit, now it's time to opt out. I mean, I remember coming to work one day and someone saying, hey, this I might sound crazy, but I've done a bunch of research last week and there's no connection between TV ads for minivans and sales of minivans. And there never has been. And then you go, what did you just say? Now, from a creative point of view, it's absolute playtime. We have, we have complete clarity. We've got a lot to learn. We know what doesn't work, but we've got to, and, th and then this is the reason why. If that's the reason why, is this true? Is that the reason why it is true? Now what you're defining is not only just narrative, it's not an ad, you're defining a media buy, you're defining a design, you're defining a tone. I mean, I found out two weeks ago that 64% of people doing DIY don't like DIY. Like who cared to look? Right. If 64% if of people don't like doing DIY, why does every DIY app have people enjoying it and stirring paint <laughs> while whispering looking in their partner's face? It's a crop of shit. People need, it's really, and I can go through almost every work, anything that I either was to do with or even watched happen at Widen. And those were the moments. If you imagine, I, ha I did not do this work, but it's a really good example. And I think it's brilliant. And I think I'm allowed to say that because I didn't do it. But Old Spice, guy on a horse. Do you remember the first few words? First two words. Hello, ladies. Oh, yes. And it's yes. hello, ladies, because an incredible strategist, I think it was Britton Taylor, just checked who buys it. In the history of shower gel, We'd all knew how it was made, how it was packaged, who used it. 52% was wives and girlfriends and mums. If you know that half of the audience or half of the purchase audience isn't the usage audience, maybe do an ad for the purchase audience. So the insights, those insights really are the gems that come before the diamond, right? You need those in order to actually get to the big, the big moment. Yeah, and who who of the three of us is best at finding that? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. I was going to say Ooh. Valerie, but okay, it doesn't matter. Well, wait. Let's, let's, <laughs> you Thank you. Well, I, I've got, this, it, it's a good point, right? Because I don't say this. I say this thing I'm about to say in work. I don't really say it outside work necessarily. Sounds a little bit too fucking bro-y. Is if you read anything about the problem-solving uh, process of special forces soldiers. It's absolutely wildly inspiring when you're not a soldier. And one of the things to imagine is that you have these groups of seven who are put out and have to solve problems by themselves. They don't have do this, do this, this. They're, 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 they develop the situation. They're put in a place and they develop it. Now, all of those people are good soldiers, but one of them's a medic. One of them is an expert in communications. One's a sniper. One's a demolition expert. Whatever those things are. So you're probably right. Valerie probably will. <laughs> but it's not all the time. 
So you've segued me to like the perfect next question that, that I have for you, which is around talent and like who you surround yourself with. And I happen to be an out of home, as many of us know here. Um, so I had heard about you taking out a local ad on a, a bench to hire. So can you please, <laughs> can you please share this story with me? I need the details. I have to explain to you what I think an idea is to get to that. Okay. I think that an idea is a solution to a problem. And there are only two kinds of problems. One pertains to the way we experience the world and the other pertains to the way we understand the world. Normally advertising agencies, marketing agencies change the way we understand the world. And normally our clients and products change the way we experience the world. I love it when those things overlap. And the thing we're building at Mother is a group an industry of creativity that can solve both of those. But from the beginning, scale is not important to me. Elegance is really important to me. So we were working on the world's largest tech company. I just come from working with Nike and Procter and Gamble. And outside the mother LA office, there was this the iconic concrete LA bench. And there was someone else's fucking ad there. And I'm like, we didn't do that, right? That's our bench. <laughs> and I also think that I think that so much is misunderstood and the more of an expert I do jujitsu, the more of an expert you come, the more you feel you feel like you have to know everything. So after doing it for a quarter of a century, I love the fact that I still can learn at a really fast pace if I hang out with interesting people and try interesting things. So what we wanted to do was just experiment with this rectangle that was two meters by 70 centimeters or whatever the dimension was. So we just, every two or three weeks, it cost 300, $280 or something. We put something new there and we did all the things that we should not do. We, we, we put a 10,000 word short story for people to sit on the bench and read while they were waiting for the bus. Turns out people really liked it. We hired someone in a public place in their bosses may have been driving past it. Uh, Todd Selby, who is a friend of the agency, he, we put one of his like uh, illustrations up and he in with no information, he Instagrammed the bench and said, I'll be here next Wednesday serving tea and cakes, answering any questions and signing books. People figured out where it was. People went there. We had 30 or 40 people come for tea and cakes on a random concrete bench in mid city LA. And it really was for us to uh, experiment with creativity, right? Every two weeks, do something new. It's fun. Do you think, I mean, part of this was creativity, part of it, I would be asking like, do people actually look at bus ads? And in your mind, it kind of doesn't even matter because A, you did. B, it was just a creative canvas for you where you know there's some audience and some impact you will have, even if, I don't want to say unintended, but but there's been a shift no matter what platform you engage in predominantly now. It's probably different than the platforms or channels that you were playing in 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, and even further beyond. How do some of those shifts in, in consumer behavior impact your creativity how do you proactively and reactively engage as the world around you is changing? So there is, 
anyone English that's listening to this, they're about to get some sort of PTSD because there was a TV show when I was young and it was called Wurzel Gummidge. And don't Google it, it's horrific. It is about a, uh, a scarecrow, but the scarecrow was alive. He was played by an actor. And in every episode, he'd go into the shed. It was, it was horrific. And he'd take his head off and he would put a new head on. And it's, it's, it's insane that any child slept for a decade knowing that this scarecrow was around. The reason I tell you the story about Wurzel Gummidge is, for me, there are different heads that you need to put on. One of them is the head that just consumes media and consumes the new and understands uh, AI bots, understands uh, new media, new ways to communicate, new apps, new games, new art exhibitions, new theater, but you consume ravenously with no need, with no expectation of producing because I don't wanna bring any of those expectations to a problem. Once I'm solving the problem, that might be, I might be like, oh my God, I remember that Shakespeare, that Shakespeare play I saw 18 years ago in Australia that was only lit by actors holding torches at each other in a dark room. Dude, it might be that, or it might be a deep fake I saw online that inspired a something, something, something. So for me, consuming and devouring modernity, I have to pass separately from problem solving because I do not want to bring my bias to any client's problems. They're paying me really well to not do that. Well, you're also someone who has a wealth of just experience and having lived in more countries than I can count on at least one hand, you, Valerie and I are New Yorkers. Um, I don't know, Valerie, you're, well, you're a Bostonian who moved to New York. You, you abandoned your, uh, your homeland, but I'm a New Yorker forever. L.A. for you is kind of, I would say, a, a relatively new home, right? How creatively, I mean, it's a vibrant scene. Does it influence your work in ways? Are there favorite spots that have inspired you or where you like to sit and people watch in any way? Okay, okay. Well, I grew up as a skateboarder in London where it rained and where the streets are almost cobbled because they're so badly maintained. And still skateboard now with my son here. So my for me those years, those kind of teenage years where you're figuring out who you are. Um, I was watching VHS tapes of Venice high schools and strip malls in Gardena. And so for me, those things that you as an American probably hate about LA, the impermanence and the shittiness. Uh, don't, don't go back on it now. Use the H word. This, that was recorded. Um, <laughs> I am wildly romantic about them. Like the strip malls with double-sided painted curbs. I would drive an hour to one. Like, I love it. I really, I truly love it. Then the other thing I'll add into that is I went to a like centuries old art college that had marble stairs and it was fucking Hogwarts-esque. The downside of that, let's take all romance out. The downside of that is I remember the moment of walking up to room 409 and grabbing this handrail and stepping and seeing this just tiny marble indent, like tiny, tiny. And I remember thinking, you can't impact this city. There's nothing that you can do that can change the face of London, right? And then I come to LA 
and the things that people don't like, like some of the houses look like they're made of polyboard and chewing gum, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm pro- I could probably kick my way through some of these buildings. But what <laughs> they, were, they were basically built to be set behind the scenes in a movie, right? All the houses. Yeah. Yeah. But the optimism of that is you could have an impact. And mother now through the hard work of anyone that's gone through it even people not there now we have a city block we started off in the little photo studio we have a city block we're trying to build a home for creativity and the evidence is kind of playing out that with optimism with uh, charlie who's the head of strategy in the us uses the word ebullience like that optimistic energy like with that and with the belief that this is what we should do, this is our money. There's no backing. We're, we're building this thing. And for me, that's what LA, LA still has warehouses. Like it's really hard to find that in, in New York or in Boston or there are none in London. They don't well, they're all WeWorks now in New York, but yeah. Nothing with that. Exactly. Maybe even worse. <laughs> so if you could collaborate on a dream project with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and what type of project would you envision working on together? It's present company excluded, obviously. Obviously, obviously. Okay. People with the biggest, clearest problems are the most exciting. Oh, and right. the desire, some people have problems and they have no desire to solve the problem. I think a lot of marketing is that thing. You, you, you've been in those situations where you're like, if you do this, it will do the thing you need it to do and they won't do it. And we've all, we've all done that. And to see the opposite of that, like Mark Pritchard, who was running, is, is running P&G, he came in and he said, here's my problem, do this. And we, Wyden at the time, said, no, 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 it's literally a lie, do this. And he just said, let's do that. Those, that, those are the moments where you're like, this is, this is a, a company that spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a sponsorship, have come to you with the wrong brief, they get told it's literally wrong. I didn't tell him this, but they, he was told it was literally wrong. And he said, you're right, let's do that. And he did arguably the most successful global campaign ever. So like, so that is somebody who with a massive problem, be it reframe the understanding of climate change. I think that's, that's, that's incredible. Um, those are the kind of problems, something big, but also, I got to say, I also love tiny, stupid problems. For me, the most important part is that if we collaborate with somebody, are they willing to go on the journey and have the problem solved in a way they didn't think could be solved? And then who I'd like to work with? I love, I mean, this is a, so lame to say, I really, really love the people I work with. I, I genuinely like I'm going to New York on Sunday when I walk into the office on Monday morning, I'm going to be so excited to see the people there. When I go in here, I'm so excited. My partner, Terry, who I travel around the US with and Charlie and Peter, I, I genuinely love seeing them. And I'm aware that's a privilege because I'm aware lots of people don't feel like that. But when I see any of those people, part of me inside goes, oh, it's going to be so good because they're so good at that thing they do. And I try to be good at the thing I do, but it means that when I get to the edge of my capability, they're there. And 
family is a weird thing to say. It feels like a good team. It feels like people would genuinely want me to be successful and will help. I love that. I'm, I'm genuinely happy for you because I, I agree. A lot of people can't say what you just said about the people around them. So yeah. that's wonderful. I love it. Well, and it also is a testament to you in that you can recognize not only creative talent, but human talent, which is really hard to glean uh, from an interview or even a portfolio. Um, but we've gleaned it from you in this interview. So that's a testament. Oh, to you. I'm super good at faking, which is not out of the question. <laughs> well, look, that is a big part of marketing. Yes, I'm a psychopath. But I do have an idea for room 409 if you want to go talk to Clorox instead of P&G, right? That 409 spray that cleans up. Yeah. So there you go. That's a free idea. Um, take, it, take it or leave it. Um, that always working. Before we let you go, Joe, back to being brilliant, um, we want to take one more moment or one more minute uh, of your brilliance to ask you six questions in Ideally 60 seconds, but I think all of us know that it's impossible for any of us to keep to a script or a, you know, but I'm giving you timeline and a budget here. The budget is unlimited. This is gone in 60 seconds. So question number one, we're going to kick things off. You mentioned that you are, um, you practice jujitsu. What belt are you? I've been a brown belt now for four and a bit years. So okay. on the cusp of something else, but right now happily esconded in brown. That's amazing. I have no idea what the color chart is unless it comes on a Benjamin Moore wheel. But my question for you was not actually any of that. It was, given your knowledge of the martial arts in creativity and marketing, who is going to win if they actually fight Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? It's not even close. Truly, it's not. It, this, I'm, it's, this is not a contest. Zuckerberg will absolutely ruin him whenever he wants. And I've done it to people. People have said to me, well, you want to fight on this beach? I'm like, fine. It's not going to be close. Okay. With your team, which you love, do you prefer to text or email? Text. I refused. I refused to do some. I've refused... I have Slack. I, 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 it's the worst thing for me as a person. I know it's great. You don't, no one has to tell me it's great. But for somebody who is insanely distractible, surrounded by people who are professionally interesting, that's my whole day. As I hear you talking, I am curious, from your perspective, which accent is easiest to copy? English, Australian, or American, since you've now... Australian, easy. Australian is the easiest. Right, isn't it? Mate, fair bloody dinkum. Yeah. <laughs> Australian is the easiest. It's also the one I get in most trouble for doing at home because my son is American, my wife is Australian, and if I do any Australian accent, death. Name one thing that makes you angry. Pep Guardiola, manager of Manchester City. He says, I'm not going to get annoyed at you for not scoring. I'm not going to get annoyed if we don't win. I'm going to get annoyed if you don't want the ball. And I just wrote an email to everybody at Mother in the US about wanting the ball, which is step up, be excited, don't mail it in. 
failure is totally fine because we'll find a way to fix it. But just being the like, nah. We get paid so well to do amazing things with incredible people on a daily basis. If anybody's had shitty jobs for years like I've had and you and you and you come into something like this and you go like, this is a real thing we do. And if you're going to mail that in, oh, my God, that is inexcusable. It's not where I thought you were going to go when you first mentioned Pep. I thought as a Londoner talking about a Man City skip, I thought there was going to be a different thing there. But it's not even your work. It's your life. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Oh God! I why not be good at it? Why not try? And it, actually, why not try? Because who knows, right? Just just want to take those shots. Want to take those things. Is it okay for adults to own stuffed animals? <laughs> yes. And my last question for you, as the mother of all mothers, one memorable lesson or advice, wisdom that you remember from your own mother? Never pee into the wind and don't fight people that work on oil rigs. That was, <laughs> I gave you a twofer. We have such different upbringings that it's amazing, <laughs> but I am so... She actually said, don't, her and my dad said, don't fight, don't fight uh, Royal Marines or people that work on oil rigs. And then one time I almost got in a fight with a, with a Royal Marine that worked on an oil rig. Thank you, Joe. And thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of the Snarketing Podcast. If you like what you hear, leave a comment on our LinkedIn page, YouTube channel, or just take out a full page ad in the New York Times. We're not picky. Take care and see you all soon.